Welcome to Seder Stories, the official podcast of Holy Cross Athletics, presented by JMB Financial Advisors. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Seder Stories in the 2020-2021 academic year. We hope everyone in our Holy Cross family is staying safe and healthy right now as we continue to navigate the ongoing pandemic. As we all know, the last several months have been marked not only by the uncertainty of the global health crisis, but also an increase in awareness and conversations about racial injustice in the United States following the killings of Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, and Breonna Taylor, and the shooting of Jacob Blake. Within our campus community and across the United States, we are having honest conversations about how structural racism impacts people of color in this country and the work that needs to be done to unite for change and actively commit to anti-racism, equity, and inclusion. To introduce myself, my name is Sarah Kirkpatrick. I'm an Assistant Director for Athletics Media Relations here at Holy Cross. I'm also a member of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee within the College Sports Information Directors of America. Our work over the last several months has focused on racial injustice in this country, how athletic departments can unite against racism, and how we can best support and represent the voices of our colleagues and student athletes. Today, we'll be joined by some of our own administrators, coaches, and student athletes to discuss their experiences competing and working in athletics as people of color, and how athletes, coaches, and staff can unite to use their voices for change. To begin with, we are fortunate to welcome a group of four Holy Cross administrators and coaches. Why don't we start with having everyone go around, introduce themselves, and your roles within the athletics department. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for moderating this panel. Marcus Blossom. Director of Athletics. Uh, I am entering year two of my time here at Holy Cross. Excited to discuss this important topic with all of you. Hello, everyone. Uh, Aaron Deschiel, Assistant Director of Athletics for Student Athlete Development, and I'm going into my third year here at Holy Cross. Hi, I'm Jed Alfonso. I'm with Women's Track and Field at the College of the Holy Cross. I've been here um, 21 years as a coach. Um, I'm also an alum, graduated in 1992. My name is RJ Evans, I'm also an alum, graduated in 2012, and I'm a men's basketball assistant coach. I'm going into my second year here. Great. Thank you, everyone, for being here today, and welcome to the new season of Seder Stories. Uh, why don't we begin this conversation today by just reflecting on the events of the last six months. Um, what have you seen? What have you felt? And what are some of the conversations you've had with your colleagues, friends, families, and student athletes? Uh, Marcus, why don't we start with you? Thanks, Sarah. You know, I've seen... Um, I, I think the, uh, a couple things. For one, um, people are, people are hurt, um, by, by some of the events they've, they've witnessed. Um, people are confused as to, to why some of these things are, are occurring. And, and I think one of the positives that, that I've been able to, um, to see is that although this hasn't affected everyone, right? Um, or it might not have even affected someone that uh, a staff member or student athlete um, personally knows, um, but they still care about it. Um, they care about uh, humanity. They care about how others have been impacted. And not only do they care, um, they've challenged themselves and their, their peers to, to do something about it. So that's 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 one of the you know real fortunate um, outcomes of this uh, that I've seen from from our student athletes, staff, and alums is that it, it's 
um, you know, I've been able to see a certain level of care and understanding that has caused people to uh, to act in, in certain ways to 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 make sure they're positively affecting change overall. Great question, Sarah. Um, I think, um, in all honesty, what we've seen here with the videos and um, the filmings of things like uh, what happened with George Floyd, uh, Jacob Blake, you know, unfortunately, it's not new. It's not new things um, that we're seeing. We've heard about these for a long, long time. Um, but it's very impactful because now we get to see it in real time. Um, what is new, or new to me anyway, is the, the activism. And it's encouraging to see in a lot of places. I'll agree with Marcus. It's not just a matter of um, Black folks out there on the front lines saying that uh, Black Lives Matter or you know, enough is enough or anything like that. Um, it's great to see activism from young folks. It's great to see activism from non-people of color um, and it admits something to them as well. Uh, that was new. That was new for me anyway, to see uh, those folks on the front line. It was very encouraging to see um, the amount of different people, um, the amount of diversity that was on the front lines uh, and just making their voices heard uh, in a very um, democratic way. So I was very encouraged by that. Um, I think you know, conversations have to continue. They have to continue to happen. Uh, personally, um, as a father, I have to have conversations. Um, maybe they're a little bit more accelerated than I wanted them to be. Um, just because you see those things on television now and every time we turn on the TV, we would see something. So conversation had to happen in some shape or form, even though I have young boys, we had to talk about what it means for them to be who they are and how to navigate themselves a little bit. And those conversations are going to develop and get deeper and deeper as we go forward. So my, just hitting on what Aaron said, my conversations with my children have, um, I've got an 18 year old son that's kind of driving around town and um, he's out there. So I've had to change how I've talked to him about being careful, but at the same time, living your life. Um, and I, in terms of my team, I didn't want to do anything that was going to be too large. I just wanted to make sure that the kids knew that there are members of their track family that are hurting right now. And so I did get that message out to my girls to make sure that you're being supportive of your teammates right now, that they're hurting. And I presented to them the fact that they are smart, um, intelligent, uh, caring young women, and that if there is going to be change, that they have to be a part of it. And so we've had conversations along those lines. Yeah, for me, um, kind of goes along with my biggest takeaway from obviously these last six months is probably what Marcus was talking about was the care. I mean, as my first experience with this stuff as a person who like I can coherently know what's going on was probably in uh, the Trayvon Martin was when I first saw it. And the difference from now and then is that I feel like people actually care more. People of non-color care more about what it's like to be black in America. Like they're asking questions about our experiences and trying to really figure out kind of how we, how we feel and how it is from our viewpoint more than ever. 
and I've had people come up to me and ask questions as like, how does this affect you? Like, I didn't know, like a lot of people didn't know when I think there's with social media and things, people are getting educated a lot quicker and they're really asking questions. They really want to help. Which I, that's my biggest takeaway. One of the, the things that, that uh, Aaron and Jet just brought up is, is communicating with your children. Uh, that's been interesting. Really, I have a seven and an almost five-year-old, and you know, you, you you kind of struggle with do you do you turn the channel? Do you do you talk about it? And I, I'm not sure um, what I'm doing, quite honestly, uh, with them. We do have some conversations. I think it's a little early. I'm trying to. I always try to think back into to when my parents start talking to me about race and and you know culture and those things so you know i might have to get jet on the phone since she has an 18 year old and i have a seven year old so she can kind of help me out there but that's an issue um for sure that you know both Aaron and jet made me you know make sure i, I emphasize a little bit i actually found that with my i have two by the way i have a 14 year old as well and i, I found that my kids knew so much and I didn't realize that that they were on social media and that they were um they just knew so much about the issues and they were partially schooling me as I was trying to school them um the other thing um when uh Raymond mentioned social media I did have to at some point take a step back from it um with Facebook and um things of that nature because the and just to I don't want to put a negative spin on side to this, um, although we are talking about a negative issue. Um, people that you thought you knew, you don't necessarily know. And sometimes the postings and the comments, you have to like step back from them and or unfriend some people. Um, so that's been an interesting dynamic to this as well, that um, I just had to take, take some time away from it. I don't think I've been on Facebook for like a month at this point because of that, um, just to step away from it. As, as you're all kind of saying right now, Aaron was one of the first ones to bring it up. Um, the awareness has increased in the last few months, but a lot of the injustices we become more aware of are, are certainly nothing new. Um, speaking more broadly, what are some of the unique challenges and pressures you've seen and faced specifically through the lens of college athletics? and kind of how has that experience evolved um, throughout your career? Um, RJ, do you want to start with this one? Yeah, um, for me, obviously, I was in school 2008, 2012. I didn't really feel any type of uh, racial injustice as a college student. But uh, my biggest takeaway is in my business, the college basketball world is I'm fighting uh, a racial stigma every single day. and. Um, I'm in college basketball, the black assistant coach is seen as the recruiter. Like my job is to recruit players and then that's it. And a lot of places, coaches get put in a box. And that's something I have to fight every single day. And a lot of people don't know that, but I got to be a well-rounded coach because when they look at me, they think, oh, he's the guy who gets all the players and everybody else does the X and O's. Everybody else does the practicing. But I'm very fortunate to work for a head coach and a coaching staff that supports me as a well-rounded coach and gives me opportunities to branch out and learn more. And coach gives me a lot of responsibilities because it's easy to get trapped into that box. And on the flip side of that, one thing I learned from one of my mentors, Shaka Smart, is you kind of want to use that to your advantage as well. You do want to be one of the better recruiters on the team, but you also want to be a well-rounded coach. 
we want to do have be the best of both worlds. And he he told me that early in my coaching career, and that's something that I strive to do um, almost every day. You know, um, Sarah, for me, um, no, I don't know how many um, black athletic directors there are in Division One. Um, off the top of my head, I know the percentages aren't in your favor. Um, so for that, um, I, I think I carry a burden, um, so to speak. I, I I come into work every day for one to to do the best job I possibly can to for Holy Cross for our student athletes, for our staffing coaches. Um, I work for my family. I represent my family and and to make sure um, you know they're proud of what I do and and what I could possibly accomplish. But also, I work to do a great job so the next person that looks like me that comes behind me can also get another opportunity, whether it's here or somewhere else. So, you know, I, I think that's something that everyone doesn't experience is the burden of 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 trying to achieve your goals and achieve success. Um, that's something I, I carry with me um, every day. When I think about athletics and, and how it's evolved over the years, it, 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 it seems like it it's definitely has gotten better when it comes to opportunities uh, for diverse candidates, but there's certainly uh, more room to grow. Um, RJ touched on the um, the role of, of or, or at least how certain coaches are perceived uh, he is he is spot on uh, with that and and how you perceived as a recruiter uh, not necessarily just to recruit he didn't touch on this but it's oftentimes in, in basketball is to recruit players that look like him um, because you know they assume he you know he's the, the key to getting those players in in terms of recruiting um even as the head coach of the program, I think there's the burden of how many people of color as a black head coach are you bringing onto your team? And um, I've felt that before, not under this administration, but, and not even the last administration, but the administration before that, um, just sort of like a tally of how many people of color, women of color I had on my team, and why aren't I doing a better job at it? Um, or this is what we expect to see. Um, so there is that that additional burden, even as a head coach. That is that is interesting, Ted. I I, I, did, I never thought about that from a, a coaching perspective. I I feel that way uh, from an athletic director standpoint to make sure, you know, and that's one of our goals, you know, as it should be to diversify staff. But I do feel like you know it could go two ways, right? It can be, you know, to make sure you're, you, as a minority, you're diversifying staff. You also think, and I know some others think in the back, back of their mind, if you're, if you got too much diversity on your staff, like what's the reasons behind that too? <laughs> so uh, that, that's, that's an interesting, interesting fact too. Um, thanks, thanks for bringing that up. If I I'd just add, I mean, from, you know, what we are hearing, what we heard from, you know, Marcus, Jet, and RJ, there's this feeling of, you know, coming into this position. Did I only get this position because I'm a minority? 
you know, and you have that weight on your shoulders. So you feel a little pressure in order to perform at a higher level than what maybe the previous person did or maybe what some of the other folks in your your contemporaries may. Um, So you have that pressure there and you have to, you know, maintain it and keep it up. And you have this feeling of our eyes on me because, you know, other people feel that I got this position because I'm a minority. And then, as RJ said, you know, that burden of being put in a box. Um, How do I make sure I'm not put in a certain box? And how do I make sure I can, you know, branch out and do things that I think are best in the best interest of the program, in the best interest of the athletic department, because that's what we do and not because of who I am. Um, so, and, you know, I think everybody on the panel just kind of really expressed that burden. You know, you heard that word a couple times. There's that burden that they feel, um, and it's, and it's sort of future thinking as well, as far as if I don't succeed in this role, the next person won't even get a chance. Um, and that's, that's heavy. That's a heavy, you know, burden to bear, but I think you probably will find that in employment, um, people of color, it doesn't matter, you know, necessarily what your job is. There's a lot of people that feel that way. I got a, I got a question for you, Marcus. I've been actually just came in my head. Um, wonder if anybody's ever asked this. Have you ever felt pressure as an AD to hire black coaches because you're black? Yeah. Um, from who, I guess, is the is the important question. Not necessarily from Holy Cross, but from um, maybe peers, uh, maybe from from some minority coaches that I do know. Um, I think they, um, the people that are, are close to you, uh, or that would potentially apply that pressure. Uh, if that pressure matters, I think it depends on who it comes from. It has to be someone that matters. I think they, if, if they have an understanding of who you are, um, they know your heart's in the right place, regardless of, of, of what hire you specifically make or end up making. But there is a little bit of that pressure, but I, I haven't felt it from, uh, from Holy Cross. But it, it may be, uh, as I think about it, it may be pressure that I'm putting on myself, too, that I, that I don't know that I'm that I'm doing um that burden so to speak that that Jet just mentioned so there is some but it hasn't been it hasn't been overwhelming I just want to speak a little more on on this burden that that you all have brought up um obviously there's there's pressure whether that's that's internal from external sources but I also want to talk about almost embracing that burden for lack of a better word. Um, How do you embrace that role as being a mentor for student athletes and why is it important for athletes to have people of color who are coaches and administrators to look up to? Um, Jet, is that something you'd like to start with? So I, I feel like I mentor all of my kids equally. Um, I, I, I mentor the the kids that need the the mentoring the most, um, the ones that are in my office all the time that want to talk with me, things like that. Um, I know it's important that um, my women of color see someone that looks like them in charge of a program. I know that that gives them something to look forward to upon graduation, that they they can succeed. Um, But at the same time, I feel like um, I don't want to give additional mentoring 
to girls of color on my team, I prefer to mentor all of my kids sort of equally um, and really hit on those kids. I just, there's, there's other things that are um, detriments to kids' lives. Their socioeconomic backgrounds, things like that. Um, it's not just about being a person of color. So I try to, to, to look at all of my kids in that, you know, as potentially needing um, mentoring from me. Um, so I, that might not be what <laughs> you're looking for. <laughs> I don't assume that a, a woman of color that enters my team needs mentoring. Um, some of them are coming from extremely strong backgrounds with great parents and great mentors in their lives. And um, so I don't, I don't just gravitate towards women of color in terms of mentoring. I just gravitate towards those that seem like they need it the most. You know what, Jet? I was, you know, that's why I, when I took myself off mute. I, I was basically going to say the same thing when you sometimes, and it's almost a stereotype, right? When you, when you say, hey, Jet, as a minority coach, um, how can you mentor these other minority student athletes? Right. It, it's assuming they need more mentoring than, than, than else, right? That's um, one of those stereotypes. Um, you assume they, you know, they don't come from a great family that's already doing the, 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 the quality mentoring. So I, I take Jet's approach. Like, you know, I'm not going to assume um, one person needs more mentoring than others. Um, you know, when I was a student athlete, I, I and I had a, a, a black head coach. You know, I looked at him to do a good job coaching. I didn't need him to mentor me. You know, <laughs> I had parents, you know, I had a great family. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I might've took mentoring advice from other people. So um, that, that's the, Jet has the right approach to that. Our jobs is to, is to mentor who needs mentoring and is to provide support to all. Um, so I just think that's an important, important factor to point out. I think, I think we, when students come to us, they're just in a, you know, stage of development where they're trying to figure out who they are and what's next and, you know, where to go and all that sort of stuff. There's so many things, what their major is going to be, you know, how are they going to, especially the kids that are on athletic teams, how are they going to fit in with the team? Are they going to play right away? You know, all those sorts of things. Are they going to be prepared for the academic rigors? All those sorts of things are there for them. And um, you're kind of looking for, or they're kind of looking for any sort of connector that can be there. Um, whether it's, you know, somebody's from the same state as you. Um, somebody, you know, they, they play the same position as you. Whatever that connector is. And obviously the easiest, quickest one is the external uh, connector. So you kind of, you know, look at somebody and you see, you know, this person kind of looks like me or um, they remind me of a family member or something like that. Um, so, you, you know, that sort of relationship could, could happen. But again, it could be anything. It could be, like I said, you both are from New Jersey. So you have that in common. You talk about food and culture and, and those sorts of things. But you know, that external thing is kind of the, the one that will make someone come from one side of the room to the other side of the room and sit next to you. Um, and that's kind of, you know, how things may start. 
Um, you may end up going across the room sitting next to somebody you think looks like you and you find out that that person is nothing like you. Um, but and a lot of times it's, it's, you know, the external piece is what kind of is that, that attractor. Um, and that's where maybe some things start and that's where that representation, you know, matters, I think in a lot of places. Oh yeah, I uh, definitely agree with what you just said, Aaron. I mean, one thing, it's actually a funny story, actually. Uh, when I got here last year, we had to call all the kids and uh, one of the kids on the team, um, literally I talked to him on the phone. His first question was, are you black? And then he said, I said, yeah, he's all right, cool. He said, all right, cool. I, I was wondering if we had a black coach. So it goes on to what you just said, Aaron, and it's kind of how it is. I mean, they're going to be naturally attracted to you. So it's, it's a, it's not a burden. It's kind of what we got to, what we got to do every single day. And the one thing I, I live by is just pay it forward. I mean, I got, I was blessed to come to this great uh, college and people did a lot of things for me to help me get to where I am. So I just want to be an example for them to let them know that they can do the same things and more in their life. And that's, kind of what I live by every day when I come to work, just pay it forward. Like, who am I going to help today? No matter what they look like, just who am I going to help? It's kind of funny now that we're doing a lot of these meetings through Zoom or when a kid first sees you when you're recruiting them, there's almost like this, <sighs> you know, when they walk into the office or when they see you on Zoom for the first time um, and they realize that you're a black coach um, and they feel, they immediately feel more comfortable and parents sort of relax a little bit more. Um, so it's good to know that you also get that as well, um, RJ. Um, RJ, if I can ask you this, um, have you had um, kids ask you about what the diversity is like at Holy Cross and then almost um, step away from the recruiting process. Now we're in a different situation because you're, you've got scholarships, <laughs> things like that. So you've got some incentives. Um, but I've had kids walk away from Holy Cross, at least, you know, mentally shut down when they find out what our di di diversity numbers are like at Holy Cross. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's happened a few times. I mean, uh, mostly actually from parents. Uh, I've had a couple parents this this summer specifically uh, came and asked me like what the diversity was. I had to give them the numbers, and then uh, kind of go from there. Nobody's really like shut down from it, obviously, because they're getting a free education, so it's a little that, that incentive is there. But um, people do ask those questions, and you just got to be ready to answer them and kind of tell the truth. The good thing is I had an experience here, so I can kind of tell them that. It wasn't like I had a great experience here and they, I can use that to my advantage because it wasn't, I, w I didn't feel like I was different when I was here. Also, you should, uh, you can talk about the surrounding area, you know, the, the Worcester area and the diversity there, the population there and um, how it's, you know, on the rise in a lot of different areas. Shifting gears just a little bit toward topics of change and progress and allyship. Um, how have you seen Holy Cross students working toward change over the last several months? Um, Aaron, do you want to take this one and maybe discuss MOCA and WOCA and the work they're doing? Sure. So uh, MOCA, Men of Color Athletes, WOCA, Women of Color Athletes, a uh, group that started about three or so years ago, uh, maybe four. Um, and I think the women's group started a year or so after. And um, Ironically, you know, summer is kind of a quiet time. I, I really 
normally wouldn't have a whole lot of uh, conversation uh, with the Mocha and Woka groups, uh, maybe just checking in, um, doing some program planning. But uh, this summer we had a couple of different meetings. We had to, we had some conversations that um, needed to happen. Um, I, I tried to point them in a direction where some uh, activism and things like that were happening. They pointed me in directions where activism was happening. Uh, I was very proud to uh, see them on their social media, um, you know, doing certain things or posting, you know, uh, educational sort of information, trying to arm themselves, uh, trying to, you know, make sure that their friends are aware uh, of, of positive information, uh, accurate information. Um, so I was very proud of them. Um, we're, we're starting to engage a little bit more this fall now um, that school started and trying to make sure that we include our first year students that are coming in, talking to them uh, and, and just trying to grow our um, community a little bit um, and, and even outwards, you know, I think they realize and recognize that their teammates who are um, not uh, uh, members of MOCA and WOCA um, um, are concerned about them, feel for them, um, and, you know, that tent is getting a little bit bigger and bigger. Um, so uh, it's very encouraging to see, um, and like I said, that, that activism piece that I recognize uh, mostly through social media, just because of where, we're at, where we are with the pandemic and all, um, was really, really encouraging to see over the summer. Marcus, um, can you discuss some of the steps that are being taken toward change um, that are being put in place in our athletic department in our conference? Thanks, Sarah. We're doing a, a couple things here. Um, in the athletic department, we, are, uh, we have enacted a, a diversity inclusion and unity action plan. Um, we have several different priorities in that plan. Um, one is uh, voter registration and, and voting education. Uh, we have some uh, implicit bias and anti-racism training um, that we plan to get off the ground here in October. Um, we have some recruiting initiatives uh, to diversify our staff and our student-athlete population. We have a couple other educational priorities that we think will, will help uh, make our environment more welcoming for, for all of our uh, student-athletes, staff, and coaches. Um, we also have a conference initiative, uh, as many of you may have heard, the Patriot League started an anti-racism commission. And it's not one of those commissions that you just start and, 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 and don't do any work. We've actually had several meetings over the last few weeks, uh, and we are uh, really working together. Uh, when I say together, one of the, uh, the interesting components of how the commission is, is, is configured is we have you know, student athletes on the commission, coaches, staff members, uh, alums. Uh, we have some faculty and staff from several institutions. Um, so that, that collaboration is going pretty well. Um, and the focus there is to make the league and its institutions um, a more anti-racist environment by coming at it from a league and NCAA policy standpoint. Uh, an institutional policy standpoint. We want to make sure our staff, coaches, and student athletes have the professional development they need and also uh, start several educational initiatives uh, for uh, 
the entire campus community across the Patriot League. Um, so all of our environments are, are more, more welcoming overall. And then just one one more question to wrap this up um, for all of you. How can how can white student athletes, staff, administrators, and coaches help use their voices for change? Um, I I think it's 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 a matter of what they feel comfortable doing. Um, that's the first thing. Um, and sometimes it's okay just to be supportive. Um, and not every uh, thing is a cause for debate. <laughs> just be supportive. Give a hug. Uh, listen. Um, and then there are those that obviously feel more comfortable taking on larger roles. Um, getting involved in some things upon graduation would be the way to go. And I've already had a number of kids that have um, asked about different positions when they graduate, um, going into teaching positions where they're going into underfunded neighborhoods, things like that. Uh, those are things that they can, they can help out with in terms of uh, systemic racism um, that takes place. Um, so uh, just get involved as involved as you feel comfortable with and then keep building upon that. Um, I think it's important. And don't tolerate poor behavior, intolerance, um, ignorance. In some cases, it's just ignorance. People saying things that they don't get um, might be racism. You know, don't tolerate it. Um, speak out. I think Jet hit it on the head, Sarah. Just, you know, do what you feel comfortable. Um, you know, uh, inherently, and I guess I've seen some of this, is certain, certain non-Black students, or, or you know, they, they feel some pressure to, to, to use their voice. And I'm not sure how they're dealing with the pressure. Some of them are dealing with it, you know, really well. Some of them are struggling with it. Um, so just do what you feel comfortable with, be positive, be supportive, um, and ask questions. I think in order to, to be helpful, you have to ask the people that you're helping, how can I be helpful, you know, um, to make sure you're, you're doing the right things and make sure you're not doing things that, you know, they don't necessarily need or, or, or things of that nature. So just be supportive, ask questions, um, and be a, be a good citizen. I mean, that's uh, who we're trying to develop and graduate here at Holy Cross is, is men and women for others. And we want, you know, all students to be, be a part of that uh, service, caring, um, you know, philosophy that, that, that we have here. I'd say the same. Uh, be supportive. Um, you know, remember that your friends, uh, your friends of color, they might not necessarily know exactly how they're feeling. They might not know exactly how to express it as well. You know, if it just means you, you need to sit next to them for an hour in silence, that's, you know, that can be very powerful um, as they just kind of need a moment to go through some things uh, themselves and just knowing that they have a friend that's next to them. And I think um, what Jet said about calling things out when it happens, um, there's so many of those what we think might be harmless sort of, you know, jokes or, you know, comments that a, a friend or a family member might say, um, you know, in the company of who they feel like they're comfortable with, um, you know, call them out on that. Let them know that that's not, that's not proper. That's not something that they should be doing. Um, 
because you know they could find themselves in a situation where they you know it gets overheard or they really start to believe those things um so that's really really important or you know it gets it gets overheard by a, a child and, and or somebody that they have some influence over and they think that's proper and that's 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 the way they can go about thinking of people of color or you know somebody that's different than them um so i think that's a real real important piece of it uh, but for the most part i would say you know listen be supportive and as jet said be do do what you're comfortable with that might mean you know um being out there on the front lines with a protest sign, that might mean calling your, you know, local representatives and saying you want to enact change in this way. So uh, do what you feel like you're comfortable with. Uh, yeah, I mean, one thing, obviously I agree with everything that they said is just something that I told um, some of our players. I and mean, there's a lot of uh, young black males and females that are very confused right now and I think the one thing that my biggest message to them, my first initial feelings were with everything going on, you cannot use this as a crutch in your life. I think um, they need to use it as, you know, not a motivation, but like you can still do everything you want to do in this life, even though with everything going on, because if to some of them, it will feel like, man, I'm black in America. I got no shot. And I think we need to, to let young black kids know that they can still do what they want to do in this life every single day and remind them that, of that because the world's telling them something totally different right now. Wonderful. Thank you, Marcus, Aaron, Jet, RJ, for joining us today on this episode of Seder Stories. Um, this has been an informative, honest conversation. Uh, we truly appreciate your leadership and your willingness to speak openly about your experiences. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by three student athletes to continue our discussion from their perspective. Stay with us. Run, roll, walk. Massachusetts is getting moving again, and UMass Memorial Healthcare is here to do our part. Push, pull. We're the region's leader in orthopedics with more doctors, more expertise, and more locations than anyone else. Stir, kick, get moving again with UMass Memorial Healthcare's orthopedics experts. Appointments available now. Call 855-UMASS-MD. UMass Memorial Healthcare, a proud sponsor of Holy Cross Athletics. Welcome back to this episode of Seder Stories. We're speaking with members of the Holy Cross community about their experiences competing and working in athletics as people of color and the steps that we can take to unite for change. Right now we're joined by three student athletes from different sports. They're active members of Holy Cross's Men of Color Athletes and Women of Color Athletes, better known as Mocha and Wuka. Let's start by going around having each of you introduce yourselves to the teams you play for. Great, hi everyone. My name is Jordan Schubert, uh, part of the class of 2022. Um, and I'm a part of the women's track and field team as well. And um, this academic year, I will be the co-chair of the Black Student Union, along with being a member of WOCA. Hey, everyone. My name is Matt Cedeno. I am also class of 2022. I'm a junior on campus. I'm a student athlete. I play for the um, football team. I will also be a treasurer of BSU this year, as well as co-chair of uh, MOCA WOCA. Um, really looking forward to the to the year and I'm also working in admissions as a, an admissions assistant. Hey guys, I'm Jonna Shamley, also known as Jay, 
it's a lot easier. I play on the women's volleyball team. Um, and this will be actually my second year as the one of the team captains. Um, and in addition to serving as a member on Mocha Woka and BSU, I am a part of the leadership team for the school's active Bible study. Great, thanks guys. Um, I think we're gonna begin today's conversation. Uh, we've been talking earlier with some coaches and administrators about just the events of the last six months and how there's been an increase in awareness and conversations about racial injustice in the United States and, and systemic racism. Um, I just wanted to kind of dive in a little bit to what you guys have seen, what you felt, uh, maybe some of the conversations you've had with your, your, call, with your teammates, your friends, your family. Um, I guess, Jordan, do you wanna start off with that one? Yeah, definitely. Um, so looking back at the past, you know, six months, I think, you know, starting off, it was a lot around losing um, our spring season for track and field. Um, so that was definitely hard. Um, and I think the question became, you know, how are we going to stay motivated, even though we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Um, so definitely something we had to deal with while doing online classes. But, you know, kind of after that ended, um, you know, school was done online, all that happened. Um, you know, summer hit and then we saw the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and I think that was a tremendous movement to see, um, me being only 20 years old, um, to experience like going to protests here in Springfield um, and doing other things, being a part of the Black Student Union and seeing what students wanted to see on campus more. Um, I think overall, I would describe the past, you know, few months, it's definitely been challenging. But I think, you know, when we're in those challenging moments, that's when, you know, the best growth and learning opportunities happen. Um, so, yeah, I think that's how I would describe it. Um, and I guess, you know, we can also hear what Jonna and Matt, you know, want to say about that, too. Yeah, on my end, things were a little different because volleyball is a fall sport. So we had our season, uh, blessed to have that season. And spring is kind of when you like lock in, do training, stuff like that. And we actually had just began our 20 hours. Um, and due to uh, availability in the gym, we have to do stuff in the morning to leave room for, for basketball. So I can't say I wasn't that upset with not having to go to 6 a.m. practice. Um, but besides that, it was really sad having to leave everybody, um, obviously, and the way that the school was able to transition us into online learning, I think was well considering um, all the moving parts that had to go into play. Uh, but obviously at the conclusion of that, um, and once the Black Lives Matter stuff started coming up, we also had to think about the fact that we were still like in a pandemic. But I really feel like, you know, things happen for a reason and it allowed us to step back and like, you know, I'm not going to be distracted by March Madness or I'm not going to be distracted by watching these shows because they can't film anymore. So it really forced a lot of the not just American people, but people all over the country to just say, hey, like this is something that's going on and it needs to stop. And yeah, I agree completely with Jordan. Like it was super challenging, but like you don't, you don't develop as a person overcoming like small obstacles and like getting through things super easily. Like we have to be pushed in different ways. And personally, I was pushed with a lot of different emotions, a lot of anger, really sad, like happy at some points, because I feel like despite all the chaos that's going on, like that's when 
um, like the really good parts about things can kind of shine through, which is really great. Um, so yeah, overall, I would say it's definitely a learning experience. I can't wait to tell my kids about this. My parents would talk about stuff like Emmett Till, Eric Garner, my grandparents and stuff. And now I have my story um, to, to pass on and say, hey, this is what we did in this period. Like, let's do more. So I don't know what, what Matt has to say about that. I, and I can talk a little bit about my experience later, but I mean, you brought up a great point there. We, in the midst of a pandemic, when there were very little things to focus on, we had this, um, you know, extremely unfortunate earth shattering event happen um, with the George Floyd protests and the, you know, reemergence of the Black Lives Matter movement at the forefront. Um, of our minds, and I really think it allowed us to, to to take a more serious perspective on the whole issue. Really have some uncomfortable conversations that um, a lot of people wouldn't be comfortable having. And um, I think um, we can't we can't really see the the future un, unfolding before us um, quite clearly. But I think when we look back, we'll see this as a turning point in our history. Really, just the amount of time that we've had to to focus on this issue. There really isn't that much else going on. I mean, you have sports um, kind of coming back, but, you know, really we were able to dedicate and are still able to continue to dedicate um, so much amount of time to talk about these issues. And I and, and we'll, I feel like we'll definitely dive into this during this conversation, but I feel like that's one of the, the biggest issues. People don't want to talk about things that are uncomfortable um, and therefore we, we try to just act like it's not there. Um, or there's some people who may not even think that it is there. So um, I I believe that the, the best place to start is having, you know, conversations like this and conversations that have been had in, in the media and really being able to be in solitude and just have our, ourselves in tune to, to the singular things that were happening has been a huge impact in this entire movement and the fight for social justice. Something we've been talking about, um, something we talked about earlier is how this awareness has increased over the last six months, several months, but unfortunately these injustices, these pressures we become more aware of are nothing new for the black community. Um, just speaking more broadly, um, I don't know if Matt, you'd like to start, just what are some of the unique challenges and pressures that you may have faced specifically through a lens of college athletics and even more broadly and throughout your life? I feel as though a lot of people in athletics can attest to this, um, but especially at a school like Holy Cross, people are often surprised when someone who plays a sport um, is also um, intelligent. I feel like there's this stereotype that, you know, um, athletes or jocks aren't intelligent. So I've kind of had this, this box throughout my life that, you know, people kind of place me in like, Oh, like you're so smart for a football player. And then, on top of that, I'm a black football player. So it's like, wow, like they're, you know, a really impressive, you know, person. You're going to go really far in life, which, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for. But, um, you know, it begs the question, um, is that because of, you know, what I truly do and what I bring to the table as a person or, you know, kind of some of the other boxes that I check as well. And I really do my best not to, to stay harbor harbored on you know those facts I feel like my parents have done a great job of you know kind of raising me in a way to, to to just like believe in myself and I know that may sound a little bit corny but amidst these conversations you know I found myself 
ask, asking myself that question as I'm, you know, about to go into the adult world and, and face employment and things like that. But I feel like that's one of the biggest subtleties. Um, one of the, one of the silent, uh, I don't want to call it the silent killers, but one of the, the silent things that, that a lot of, um, athletes have to deal with in terms of this perception um that we're monolithic beings um and that we're we're just this one thing and anytime we step outside of that um it's surprising to people so um, i've kind of had a fun time in in my um career especially my collegiate career kind of stepping out of the box and putting myself in um in situations that people wouldn't think that you know i shouldn't be in or that you know typically you wouldn't you know, see um, people and wherever that perception comes from, so. Yeah, um, I think you hit on it nicely, Matt, um, but, you know, seeing some unique challenges that we face as being athletes, but also being students, and then, you know, being Black as well, I think it looks different for everybody. Um, everyone's Black experience is going to be unique to them, um, but knowing that we can do so much more at Holy Cross and just, you know, being on the women's track and field team are doing volleyball, playing football, like, you know, getting a part of um, spaces like Mocha and Woka and BSU, you know, just to be around community. Um, and sometimes where space, it's really hard to find it. So being able to rely on organizations like those, I, I think it's been great. And it makes those challenging times, you know, they are very challenging, but, you know, to have groups like that to fall back onto is great. And, I think as we think about some of the challenges we face, you know, like I said before, when we came home, when COVID hit, it was a lot about, you know, how do you motivate yourself without having your teammates, your coaches, your professors and your friends and all that. So it, it definitely became hard. And then, you know, you add on top of that, the Black Lives Matter movement. But I think it really was, you know, kind of a wake up call to everybody to say, you know, you know, what I'm doing right now, you know, there's something wrong. We need to fix something. And it became so much more. And I, and I think that was just, you know, great to see. So, you know, there definitely are a lot of unique challenges when it comes to, you know, you know, from the way you wear your hair to, you know, walking to the weight room and not be calling your name, um, you know, getting called another teammate's name, different things like that. So you do face those challenges, but when you're able to talk about it with other people who are going to the going, going through the same thing you are, um, it kind of makes you feel like, okay, I can relax, have a second and kind of be at home. Yeah, I would definitely say um, my experiences have been, unique but also I'm sure a lot of other people can relate to them as I've felt in not just at Holy Cross kind of like that like I guess you, they call it like the black token like I can be friends with her and she's black but I don't necessarily like like all black people and when I was younger I was like I'd never really thought much about it because I was just like oh like okay I'm like playing my sport like I'm having fun like there's not like stuff that goes much deeper than just like hey let's get the next point right or let's let's get this rep in practice but as i got older and i started to realize like i'm the only person who looks there's nobody else in the room who looks like me and that kind of makes me uncomfortable but like the people around me are still my friends so people that i value but they can't truly understand who i am because they simply just don't have the same skin color as me and it's nice um having the organizations that we do to have that safe space 
but I think it also helps. And this goes into um, another organization that Jordan actually invited me to, which was the Alana Happy Hour that happened over the summer slash COVID whatever. And it was basically people of color, alumni and students. So it was like, okay, we're going to talk about this stuff, but we're going to do something about it. Like we're going to, these people served on the board, these people, like they are influencers as to what the college is like, hey, what can we do? What can we help? Or maybe the college doesn't even know. And there are people who are there who could be like, our students need this. Our students need you guys to help us with this, stuff like that. So I think it really helps because it's like, okay, well, like, I can't necessarily go to my coaches. I can talk to them about stuff and they could be like, oh yeah, like, I can't, I, they can't relate to me, which is why they're kind of like a barrier, but they're like, I can sense how you're feeling and I'm going to find somebody or do something to kind of help you because I know that your situation is a lot different than mine. So I think it's really good to have those organizations, have those communities to like lean back on, but also like, I'm going to lean back on you guys and then we're going to work together to find solutions, like apply stuff to like find action instead of just like talking about it because it's good. It alleviates, especially if you're mad about something, super sad about something, it lets you kind of just get it out. But the last thing we would want to do is have that stuff happen over and over again, which is why I'm glad that these organizations are kind of geared to be like, okay, we want you guys to have this safe space, but we also want this safe space to expand beyond the room that we're talking in, which is really great. Um, speaking about the importance of having these supportive environments, organizations, um, another important resource we've been discussing is having representation among coaches and staff who are, who are Black, who are people of color. Um, why do you think it's important for athletes to have coaches and administrators to look up to who are, who are Black or people of color? Um, Jordan, I don't know if you would like to start with that one. Yeah, um, I think that's a great question. And, you know, kind of reflecting back on my childhood, um, and, you know, just reading books, looking at movies, you know, we really didn't see many princesses that looked like me um, until Princess and the Frog. Um, so even though that was a childhood experience, bringing that into Holy Cross, it's like, okay, I, I see some people who do look like me, um, but just having like mentors and people to inspire you when, you know, things are going bad. I think it's always nice to have that person you can kind of look up to and be like, hey, I'm struggling with this. I kind of need help. So just having people like that um, around in the athletic department or, you know, whether that be with your professors, it's just always a good thing to have because, you know, like I said before, everybody's Black experience is going to be a little bit different, but um, being able to rely on that, you know, one professor or that coach to really, you know, listen, Jordan, I get what you're going through and we're going to get through it. it. It just makes it so much better. So I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why I think WOCA is such a great group, because even though we're so small in numbers, I think all of our, you know, that one common goal we all have is to, you know, how can we see more women of color athletes come to Holy Cross? And then the bigger question is going to be, okay, what about coaches now? And how are we going to start, you know, filling that space up? Um, and I definitely think Jonna and Matt can, you know, kind of attest to that too, you know, just having people to look up to is so great. Yeah, definitely. I would agree. Like, um, I, the people that I would have to look up to in my sport were other players. So it wasn't very common where I would see, you know, like 
a black coach in like the NCAA tournament, like stuff like that. So it was like, okay, let me try and emulate who that person is. But then again, I only saw her on the court. Like I didn't get to see her as a person or know her personally. So I think it's different when, cause I, I, I like to have relationships with my coach. I feel like that's really important to not just see them in a coaching setting, but understand who that type of person is as a person. And then I would want the same from them, kind of have them understand who I am as a person, who I am outside of the court, because that reflects how I play as a player on the court. But I think it's also really important to consider like, like I only have two people on my coaching staff. So in addition to representation, I think we also need like education, like say we had a really diverse volleyball team, right? Like Latinos, um, white people, Filipinos, everything we can't necessarily have a coach of each one of those people on our team because that's not physically possible financially. But I think if coaches understand and they, and they teach themselves about like those people's cultures and stuff like that and triggers and things that they shouldn't say and things that they should say, then it kind of bridges that gap a little bit. It won't be like, Oh yeah, I can relate to you. I totally understand you because you never will be able to. But if you, acquire that knowledge it's like okay I'm not gonna I don't want to offend this person so let me do what I can to avoid that but definitely I think um when you're walking around campus and stuff like that and you see people who look like you're like oh my gosh that's great like and then you kind of gear in that competitor um thing that everybody has within themselves and it's like we're all striving to do better but when you don't it's kind of like okay well who I'm just kind of competing against myself which is something that we don't we don't always want to, it's good in some cases, but not necessarily good in others. Yeah, I, I would agree with a lot of what you guys said. I would say my perspective, um, my experiences are a little bit different um, in the sense that I really, I didn't really start to learn about the importance of representation, um, probably until about college. I, I mean, I went to um, very diverse schools um, growing up, elementary, middle school, and then high school, I went to um, essentially a predominantly predominantly white high school but I didn't I didn't really see it see it as an issue um in terms of you know representation I, I got my you know a great education and was able to to attend Holy Cross and Holy Cross is much like what my my high school was um but I think once I was in college and we started to like have like serious conversations about you know you look around and um, what you see is, is, is a lot of whiteness, um, you know, white walls, white people. Um, and I, I'm mixed. So I, um, I am half white, uh, half black. And my, my experiences growing up were, um, kind of mixed in the sense that we didn't really have a lot of conversations about, about race in my household. It wasn't, wasn't really something, you know, that we talked about and kind of being exposed to what we're talking about now really opened my eyes in terms of, you know, when you, when you look and you see who your role models are, I, when Iron Man came out in 2008, I wanted to be Iron Man. Um, and I didn't really see, you know, any issue with, you know, the fact that, you know, Iron Man was white. I wanted to be um, Iron Man, but with the, the passing of Chadwick Boseman, you know, having serious conversations about, how black youth see a hero that they can look up to that that looks like them and seeing how that impacted other people has really 
really opened my eyes and in, in, in the last few years I, I've really started just hearing other people's stories um like hearing Jordan's perspective Jonathan's perspective on you know not being able to 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 find many role models has, has really changed my perspective on the issue so um I would just you know kind of like we said you know a few minutes ago everybody's experiences are different and you never know how meaningful um something can be to someone to see someone that looks like them um in a position in a position of leadership i feel like i've been grateful in the fact that football is a, a very um very diverse sport in and of itself and um you know at holy cross that diversity is kind of extended so um it was one of those things i i, I kind of had access to but really being able to to learn other people's experiences and perspectives has really helped me grow my own. Shifting gears just a little bit toward activism, allyship, um, and using your voices for change. Um, how have you guys maybe been active in the community over the last several months? Um, I know, Jordan, you may have been to some protests. Yeah, um, I was able to go to a protest here in um, Springfield, Mass. Um, and it was great. Um, of course, in the midst of a pandemic, everybody has masks on. So it was a little nerve wracking, of course, but you know, just being there and feeling, you know, the power that's coming from that movement, even though, you know, we're not in those places, you know, where George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and all those um, horrible events had occurred, you know, being able to protest here in my city, um, it not only felt like I was a part of something so much bigger, but it was just, you know, a great experience to have with my um, siblings. I was able to go with my sisters and my younger brother and just being able to walk and, you know, around people, hey, do you need any water, hand sanitizer? Like, we're here for you. Um, and so, yeah, that's just been great. And then to see more movement in my city this past weekend, I was able to go down to City Hall where they were painting um, a Black Lives Matter mural and they had, you know, volunteers out there helping to paint. So, so it, it was just good to, you know, get out there and, you know, just helping out the community so everybody knows that, okay, this is an issue we need to deal with. And, you know, to those people who need to, you know, educate themselves about different things. Um, and I think also having to remember that it has been a hard week, um, hard month, you know, hard year for everyone in, you know, and so I think that remembering about all that, we need to remember that, you know, also self-care comes into it. You know, you can be at these protests, you can be helping, but we're also taking online classes um, and different things like that. So I always have to keep that in the back of my mind that, you know, it's okay to take a second. It's okay to watch a few Netflix episodes just to relax a little bit. Um, but yeah, being able to do that great work in my city has been great. and. Um, I would love to see more coming. Yeah, just to jump off of what Jordan said, I pretty much did like a lot of the same things. I went to a protest, my first protest ever, and I remember walking up. It was, um, we have this like, it's called Lake Eola. So that's like the lake to get to, they're walking on the street of downtown. Um, and you saw like the water and the snack post and stuff like that. And then you walk up to where people are walking on the street and there's just so so many people and I remember I was like so close to crying because it just it really really moves you that all these people and there were so many different people like it was just such a 
a mix of different people and it was so amazing to see that all these people would come together for a cause like this um it was funny because we were walking on the streets and the streets were actually like still had cars on them and it was just the cars were just honking like they were just honking non-stop they had their fists out in the air like it was so amazing people were giving speeches and stuff it was raining people didn't care they had their mask on thank goodness if they didn't then i would have to step, step a little away but um yeah it was really great and then signing the petitions like my friends we would post stuff um be like hey like i just found this link of like a thousand petitions like sign as many as you can and we would just be sending that around to people and it was really good. And like some people, like I gave a little bit of money, but I have to say I'm a college student. So there's only so much I can do on that end. Um, but spreading awareness and stuff like that, I think that's really important. Just being open to people being like, hey, like I want to know more about this. And it's like, okay, yeah, I'd be, I'd love to tell you more about it. There's this book that would be really good for you to read, like stuff like that. Just spreading knowledge, I think is one of the most important things to do. And then using that knowledge to take actions. Okay, I learned this. How can I incorporate that into my life? And I've seen people who are like, oh, I didn't even know this. Like, I'm sorry if I did that before. Like, and it's like, now you know. So now you can not do it again. And I can also tell other people not to do it again, which I think is really cool so yeah it was definitely something another thing I would love to tell my kids because I'm walking with my dad it was my family me and my sister my mom and my dad and he was like um I went to stuff like this now you're going to stuff like this and hopefully you won't have to but most likely you'll be taking your kids to stuff like this so it's really important that you just like stay proactive in your community and let people know like we're not going to lay down and, and give up like we want change to happen which is super super cool I've definitely taken an approach of, of spreading knowledge. I've been pretty active on social media, probably more than um, probably more than I, I should be. Um, but with no school, I guess it was it was okay. Um, but I've also done my best to educate myself on various topics of discussion, just so I'm able to to better equip myself in having conversations with people who aren't like minded or who necessarily aren't open to um, change and really just trying to, to be the most knowledgeable I can be about what's happening. Because I feel like ignorance is, is really what causes a lot of problems and lack of communication. Um, and the fact that people are afraid of what they don't understand and aren't willing to educate themselves on sometimes just basic history uh, or are just aren't willing to, to accept facts. So um, throughout this process, I've been uh, busy signing petitions. I have to say that I have not been active in the um, protest scene. Uh, I have been very nervous about uh, COVID and um, having um, my family, my parents, my little brother all have um, pre-existing conditions, very um, vulnerable. I, I haven't really been uh, out and about too much. So uh, I've kind of done my best to do what I can from inside the house. And, um, you know, I feel like everybody does what, you know, best works for them. And that's what I've been trying to do. Staying active in as many discussions uh, on campus um, and really just staying up to date with, you know, my friends and really checking in on them, seeing how they're feeling. So uh, overall, I, I feel like it's been um, an enlightening process for me. And, and I hope we can just 
continue to spread that knowledge to others as well in whatever form that may take. I definitely think it's nice to see um, like the other students, what other students are doing. Um, I know an overwhelming amount of people live in the Worcester area, but I know like a lot of people live in different parts of the country. So it's like, okay, there's protests going on like here, there's protests going on in different parts of Florida, there's protests going on in Worcester. And it's really great to see not just people protesting, but like coming together to be like, okay, what can we do? Like I know two, um, two of the students at Holy Cross who I believe are also part of BSU, they came up with like a list of um, like local businesses or and black businesses in the Worcester community that like, I don't even get out that much. So like, if you were to ask me to do something, I'd have no idea. So now I have that to look to and be like, okay, I just had a really tough week. Like, I just want to get off campus. I want to eat food that's not from Kimball. Like, okay, let me look at this and figure out somewhere where I can go. Um, and I think that's really cool because it's just like little things that you probably didn't even know were there. It's like, here, let me just um, bring this to the forefront of your mind, which I think is really nice. So I don't know if um, Jordan and, and Matt, if you guys have been working on stuff with BSU, like reaching out. But I know that was one thing that I saw. And I was like, that's really, like, that's a really great thing that happened. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, Johnny, you kind of hit on it before, you know, working with BSU alum um, and actually just forming, you know, great relationships, you know, because they know the experience we are all going through right now. And for them to, you know, be there to help us, you know, mentor us through this has been great. And, you know, a lot of students are putting in a lot of great work to, you know, really showcase you know there's great black owned businesses here and different works like that so to all the students that's you know putting in great work you know keep at it you know it, it may get a little hard but you know it's all good work and, and it's just great because you know education is key so you know to the things you may not know you know google is a beautiful thing and you know we can google a lot of stuff but it also you know just bleeding your blackness into the world it's it's a lot it's a lot about that you know it's not only you know education is a great part too but you know to all the black and brown students out there you know getting into specific spaces where you don't feel as comfortable you know make sure you're in those spaces and you know advocating and doing different things it's always great to see you know students start taking on leadership roles um, and being in those positions to say, hey, here we are, you know, our voice matters too, and different things like that. Also, like, while, I, while I'm thinking about it, um, my, I, was, I was speaking with my dad um, a few weeks ago, um, and we were kind of talking about the protests and things like that, and he said, you know, when I was your age, I, I went to protests. We did this. You know, we did this 30, 40 years ago. What what are you guys, meaning your generation, what, what is your generation going to do differently? Because we've been protesting for years. What, what are you going to do differently? And I really, it really stumped me. Um, you know, I could give him a bunch of superficial answers, but, you know, while we're talking about it, what, what do you guys think that, what can we do differently besides, you know, the protest? What, what, what is our generation going to do to, to really make a change? And that, that's a really huge question. I understand it's a huge task. I don't mean to like, I, but just kind of like to open up the conversation a little bit while I was thinking about it. Um, you know, if you guys have anything you want to throw out there to that. Yeah, the thing that popped right into my head when you said that is to vote. And I feel like our generation, I don't know what the circumstances were like um, voting wise 
when your dad was doing protests and stuff like that. But I know people in our generation just, we voice a lot of our opinions. Some of us, I'm not going to speak for the, everybody, but we voice a lot of our opinions and then we don't go out to the polls. And I feel like that's kind of empty in a sense, because that is a one way, a way, not the only way that we could create change. And I say that because I was looking at the numbers of different uh, minority races who like didn't vote and you would look at whoever won or whoever didn't win and it was like they won this state by this many thousand whatever and they pick one city in that state typically a highly populated city in that state and you look at just one number of or one group of people who didn't vote and it surpasses the amount of votes that that person won or lost by like met like so far so far and i'm like if we just go out and vote like it would change so much like it would be able to facilitate actual change because it's like we're kind of starting at the bottom and trying to work our way up but it's hard to do that because there's so much power at the top so if we don't change that like if we try and climb our way up the ladder it's going to take too long and that's why 30 40 years from now we're going to be telling our kids like you protested. So what are you guys going to do differently when you protest? Like it would be the same type of conversation over and over again. So my answer to that, and it is a very comp complicated answer because it's like, yeah, like, okay, well, what else could we do? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know, but I would say voting is definitely something that needs to be on that list. Yeah, definitely. I would definitely agree with Jana. Voting is huge. Um, and then I also think our generation is taking great steps. You know, social media does help, you know, um, having that platform to, you know, you know, just supporting awareness, like John is saying, you know, sign this petition in my bio, a lot of things that our generation has been doing. So I think, you know, Matt's question is definitely a big one. And I think we're all trying to figure that out. Um, but voting would definitely be the first step. And then, you know, taking those strides to see what you can do in your community or, you know, what you can do back at Holy Cross, um, just as a campus or with your team or your friend group, um, definitely smart, starting small and then, you know, seeing how big it can get and growing from there. But yeah, definitely. I think that was a great question, Matt, but um, I can see why, you know, your dad kind of stumped you with that one. Yeah. I think that kind of also leads into like, um, like what our organizations at our school can be doing. And it made me think of the initiative that the BSU had with um, something called the BSU demands. And basically there's a lot of um, things that are, are wrong with our education system, the concept of universities and kind of how they got founded, how they were able to um, thrive and grow over the years. And I think in order for you to have some sense of reconciliation that people need to be like, okay, this is how founders of our university or our university in general contributed to, um, what's the word? Contributed to racism, I guess you could say broadly. Um, and this is what we're gonna do to change it because obviously you can't change the past, but you can change your future. Um, so the BSU demand squad was actually something that I, had the pleasure of being a part of. Um, and it was just students getting together and be like, okay, where are the faults in our 
in Holy Cross? What are things that are, are not specific enough? What are things that we can change? What are things that we could tell the school, hey, this isn't working, we need you guys to do this. And basically just like lay it all out there. I mean, I can let Jordan explain it a little more, but I, I really was proud of the work that we were able to do. And I also got to learn a lot of things about my school that I didn't even know. Um, so yeah, that was a really good experience um, that I got to be a part of over the summer. Yeah, definitely a great experience. And, you know, like I said before, a lot of students were working hard. Um, so just to see what we can come up with and do to just make, um, you know, Holy Cross community just that more better um, and making sure everybody feels like they're, you know, welcome, connected and respected um, on campus. That's great. And just one more question to wrap this up. Um, I know Jonna and all of you spoke earlier about education. Um, one thing I want to ask before we go is how can white student athletes, staff, administrators, coaches um, be allies, be actively anti-racist and continue to use their voices for change? I would say be comfortable being in the uncomfortable um, because it starts with I'm, I don't understand this per I will not be able to understand this person who is my peer, who is a person of color, right? So there's things about this person that I will not be able to know. And I forgot who said it earlier, but we're like scared of the unknown, right? So in situations when you're with a group of friends and they say something offensive, like be like, uh, be able to speak up about it because I think that's in a, a lot of instances where the, the subtle things, the silent remarks and stuff like that are being said. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's not that offensive then, but it can grow. And I think if you nip it in the butt right when it happens and it prevents it from growing. Uh, but again, it's like, it's not something people are typically comfortable with. Like confrontation is a word that I feel like has a lot, a lot of negative stigma. But I feel that it's really, really necessary to just have those conversations. It's not like, oh my God, I can't believe you said that. Like, you're such a bad person. Like, no, you either made a mistake or you did something you knew you weren't supposed to. And as your friend, I should want to encourage behaviors that allow you to be the best version of yourself and degrading somebody else based off of the color of their skin is not going to let anybody be the best version of themselves. So I think kind of this is where the starting small can be really effective is like, I'm going to stop this before it even escalates into anything bigger, before it escalates into anything violent, before anybody gets hurt, before anybody's um, feelings get attacked or something like that. So I think uh, that's the, one of the things that our white allies can do um, on all levels, like coaches, uh, staff, uh, the leadership of the school, presidents, stuff like that. It's like, yeah, just because it's not as significant doesn't mean it hurts any less and we would hate for it to, to escalate into anything more than what it needs to be. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, kind of going off of that, I think it comes to a point where it's like, you know, don't tell me that you voted for Obama or that you don't see color. Recognize that you see that the system, that the systems that we have in place, you you are, you know, benefiting off of it, right? So acknowledging that fact, I think it comes with that first. You have to acknowledge that, you know, the systems that are happening and all the racial injustice we see, it's you playing a part in that as well. Um, many people say, you know, I'm fearful of getting pulled over by the police. And I know many black and brown students feel that way too. 
um, do you feel that same way? You know, right? You kind of have to ask yourself these sort of questions to be like, okay, do I really understand what they're going through? And to see, you know, the type of privilege that I do have. And then I think it comes down to, you know, there's a lot of ways, you know, education. I know the Office of Multicultural Education does a great job of, you know, putting on movies that you can see and different ways you can just sort of educate yourself to learn. And then also, you know, if you do have, you know, friends where you can go to and say, hey, I really don't understand this, but I want to know ways I can help. Um, and just taking on different forms like that can definitely help. And I know Matt probably and Jonna have, you know, people who have come to them and be like, hey, um, do you want to help me out with this? And that's okay to ask because, you know, some things I'm not going to know, but um, some things I can definitely help and, you know, say like, oh, you can read this book or yeah, I understand that completely because my experience has been, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, so I think it has a lot to do with sharing, um, educating, and, you know, acknowledging the privilege as well. And one last thing I'll add, and I think Jordan pretty much summed it up. I'm, I think I'm just going to reiterate it, is just admitting that you don't that sometimes you just can't relate. Sometimes you just don't know. I've personally felt, um, speaking from my own experience, I personally felt that um, many of the coaches on the football team from the top uh, to the bottom have uh, been very receptive and very understanding of what's been happening, recognizing the fact that they can't relate to all of their players' experiences, um, recognizing that fact, and then from there, saying, well, what can we do to help? Um, I think that's been an extremely positive and reassuring uh, experience for me. Just letting, just being let known that you have someone there for you um, who's not going to, who's not going to say that they understand, but who's going to be there um, to support you in any way they can. And I feel like that's been super uh, empowering uh, from my point of view and just really encouraging uh, moving forward to, to to truly know that you have someone at your back. We always talk about teamwork uh, on the football team. You know, it's an integral part to being successful. But knowing that someone has your back off the field in really all aspects, even when things get uncomfortable um, and, you know, serious conversations are being had, to know that someone's going to support you through all that, uh, given your your difference in experiences and, and um, personal life relations, I think is is super positive and I just would encourage that kind of mentality to be applied with any coaches um, to any team, just realizing that you can't always um, relate to someone's personal experience, but being there to help them in any way that you can. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for, for joining us and for being leading voices in this discussion. Um, I know I personally, can speak for the whole athletic department when I say I'm really looking forward to having more conversations like this one as we commit to working together uh, to keep making positive change in our community and the world around us. Um, if you guys want to keep, to keep up to date with all of the great work that Jonna, Jordan, and Matt and so many other student athletes are doing, be sure to follow at hcmoca.woca on Instagram. That's at hcmoca.woca on Instagram. As always, you can stay up to date with all the latest in Holy Cross athletics by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GoHolyCross.
to our entire Crusader community, I hope you've enjoyed this first and very important episode of season two of Seder Stories. We're excited to bring many more exciting, thought-provoking, and insider topics directly to you this season as we continue to sit down with those who make Holy Cross Athletics so incredible. Until next time, Seder Nation, thank you for joining us. Be safe, be healthy, and go Cross Go!